This is Irish Illustrated Insider. Monday, March 22nd, I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We expect Pete Sampson from The Athletic to join us for segment two. Tim, we've had, uh, although we haven't had any official confirmation as far as when things start and when things end, we've been using March 24th as the start date. We expect it to be pushed back till Saturday, March 27th. And then uh, the blue goal game, because everything has been so compressed, uh, I don't think that they felt they had much of a choice but to push the blue goal game back. It sounds like, again, we haven't gotten, we have not received official confirmation on this, but it sounds like the blue goal game will be held on Saturday, May 1st. Yeah, I was trying to do a little, uh, just remembering how spring time's out sometimes. And this makes sense. Um, you mentioned March 27th should start it Saturday. That would give them Saturday, Monday, Wednesday of the mandatory three no-pad practice of spring ball. It's three for spring and five for fall, unless that's changed in the last calendar year. Um, and then I think they'll take a week off uh, with, you know, it's not a lot of students going home anymore for Easter break, but there is some time off for Easter for classes. Then I think they will go from Wednesday to Wednesday without practicing, and then they're back. But Brian Kelly loves that. He likes to get them out there. This will be three practices instead of the one or two they sometimes have. And then all the coaches can review everything they've seen for that week. And then you really hit the ground running with some practices the Wednesday after Easter. Right. And it, you know, of course, Matt Bayless is, is handling the, uh, the strength and conditioning. It gets them ready for the start of spring drills. And then you have the delay yeah. and they have to try to stay in good shape, you know, during that time. So, you know, the, in recent springs this process has been stretched out over five to six weeks which I know that they love I think that's kind of a loophole in that you can get more meeting time in between there uh college football coaches will always find the loophole and and find a way to use it to their advantage but this will be a little bit more compressed so they push the the game back in order to you know because they don't they don't want to they don't want to practice four or five times in a week they want that meeting time in between and so it, it, it should work out pretty well. The weather should be, you know, I don't know how many people are going to have an opportunity to take advantage of the weather uh, with it being pushed back till May. Uh, but that's what, that's what will happen, or that's what we're anticipating happening. Tim, the pot of gold last week on, uh, on March 17th, it, it, uh, St. Patrick's Day, it coincided with the worst kept secret, and that was the verbal commitment of, of Joshua Burnham. Uh, was a very good football player. I put him right up there with Tyson Ford as the two best recruits in this class, uh, at least up to this point. But the pot of gold and everything that went with it, I would love to pick the brain of the Notre Dame coaches as to how they liked that day because all the videos that they were doing and the orchestration of all of that, it, which coincided with a bunch of offers going out to the class of 2023, um, I'm showing my age here a little bit and you can show yours a little bit too, is <laughs> man, it just seems like it, it, it. And look, you have to do what, what other people do. You have to beat people at their own game. And they turned it into a, a parade pretty much, uh, of offers. Yeah. Uh, the parade of offers. I don't mind. I guess I've gotten used to that. Um, <laughs> about the accompanying videos, but I am uh, not the target audience. We have to remember that. <laughs> I like the Joshua Burnham part you put in there. That was good. I like that part of the uh, coinciding with the pot of gold. Yeah, that's that was a that was a thing. That was a thing on the internet that happened. I saw that happen. 
It did. And I, you know, I probably will get in trouble if I talk. I, there were, there were, I, you know, I'm the one that's going to get in trouble because I'm the really old guy here. But I, it, it, I thought I really got a kick out of Brian Kelly's. Um, he, Sean Crawford dared him and he went yeah. ahead and danced. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to judge whether it was good or bad. I thought no, it was it clever. Was I, thought, I thought it was, I thought it was good that he did it. <laughs> if all your coaches are going to dance. You better dance. Like yeah, I, I am totally on board with that. That is, uh, I'm not sure every coach needed to dance, but no, that's. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Jo- Joshua Burnham's a good football player. He's got great range. He has great size. I think you have great versatility with him. Uh, I think he can. I mean, he can literally play any one of the linebacker positions. Um, I like him a lot. I don't. I wouldn't rank him ahead of Tyson Ford because I think. Right. Tyson Ford's upside is really, really high, but a, re- a really nice catch. And, and Marcus Freeman continues to do what he does. Yeah. And you mentioned all the linebacker positions. I do that depth chart impact story. And the one I don't want to pencil him in for is strong side linebacker, where you have Prince Collie coming in a year before him, because I, we have to be wrong for, I, I know Pete and you have both mentioned, you can see Prince Collie moving to will, which was used to be called buck, but boy, I, the athleticism he has. Oh, I agree. I love him out there. Uh, so I, I kind of looked at Burnham as the, uh, you know, as the weak side inside linebacker. The, the will. Well, yeah. What we don't, what we need to see here is that you know, Notre Dame ran a four three. There's going to be three three five. You're going to need a, it. It won't quite be a rover. Uh, you're going to need an outside linebacker that can rush the passer. Which, I mean, Kali Kali qualifies for that as yeah. well. Uh, but I just think that he gives him great versatility. I love his size. I think his height, his length is legitimate, and that gives you a lot of options. Now, as far as who comes next, um, this is a better kept secret, but I do think that I do think that signs are pointing towards Holden Stays, the, the tight end, who I absolutely love. I think he his catch radius is tremendous. I think in some respects he is still growing in into his body. Uh, but I love what he offers, and I and I'm hoping that the the signs are accurate that he is going to verbally commit to Notre Dame fairly soon. Yeah, I think we mentioned last week that's the type of tight end that this program should always get. I you, I get yeah, not but, I get not following Michael Mayer with some you know, but I this well is, you know I like I've written a couple times now the best tight end they've recruited since Michael Mayer, and it seems like well wait a minute that was just a short period of time ago, but. You know they have recruited other tight ends during yeah. that period, and I and I I really like Holden Stays. I love his length. He gets tripped up a little bit right now. I think he's got a, which means you know he continued to develop the strength of your lower body to to power through some of those tackles. But I really like him, um, and I, you know, I I will put him near the top of the class when I rank recruits for whatever that's worth because I think he's got a ton of potential. You know, I think it's interesting you mentioned about getting tripped up on your feet. That was uh there's a, there was a stretch of Notre Dame tight ends that are very good tight ends that did that though. I mean, even Cole Komet until he became a junior pro prospect, Chip Long talked to us a lot about it. He said, it's, I mean, Mike, just because Michael Mayer is great at it, all time great at it already as a freshman. It, it, it was a, probably a string between Troy Nicholas and junior year Cole Komet where they, their tight ends were a little stiff yeah. and they were good players, but they were yeah. getting kind of, they weren't yards after the catch like Mayer and Komet became. Yeah. Last thing in segment one before we get to uh, questions in segment two, Mike McCray, the second former Michigan football player. I haven't heard any outcries about when you, if you had, imagine if you had a, a, a TV analyst, that's a Michigan grad, the, what the outcry would be. You have Mike McCray, the second former, um, 
outside linebacker for the Wolverines is now a defensive grad assistant in Notre Dame. Speaking of which, uh, quick segue here. What do you think about Dungy not being there? I enjoyed Tony Dungy's one year. I did, I, I did enjoy Tony Dungy. I don't have any concerns about no, no. about Drew Brees being biased. I, I We look at, in the media, we look at differently. Like, you know, we kind of take our job seriously and you you have to be objective when you're on national television. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine that Drew Brees is going to have a Purdue bias against Notre Dame. I never thought... Yeah, I never thought that Doug Flutie had a bias against Notre Dame because of his Boston College affiliation. I didn't think he was a very good analyst on on right. TV. I thought he relied on a lot of cliches and and did didn't add a lot of great insight. But I don't know that. I think that's the least of the concerns with Drew Brees. The the bigger concern is just his TV presence, and I'm sure he'll be working on that between now and the start of the home season. But back to McCray, well respected. Everybody we've I mean everything I've read about him, everybody's yeah. talked about it is this is this is a good. Value add, and boy, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Analysts and grad assistants are much more important to fans now. Yeah. Have a good reason that, like, you weren't you weren't ripping there. It's they know it's an important part of it now. Chris Watt was huge in the development of the offensive line last year, and yeah, uh, I, I don't know that every every grad assistant uh, or even analyst is as is impactful as a Chris Watt was. Right, right. Watt's advantage was. You know, being young, having having played offensive line at Notre Dame, that's a, you know, I mean that that gives him an in even greater than if he were just a you know former offensive guard somewhere else. And let's be fair to Jeff Quinn, his other in was that he had four All American level players to tutor. You know, Chris Watt was going to be is going to be forever looked at as a great grad assistant at Notre Dame <laughs> because he had four when your worst guy is fifth year senior Tommy Kramer with 30 starts. It's you, yeah. it, it does help your job a little bit. He could, he could focus on the nuances because yeah. they already had the fundamentals down. Right. There's no doubt about that. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. How long have you been a Notre Dame fan? When was your first game? And do you have an interesting game story to tell? I'm Len Clark of the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project, a project to document the Notre Dame football fan experience. Commemorate your first game or your loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project certificate. To learn more, go to ndcertificate.com. You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. This is segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Donnelly3434. If Kevin Austin and Jordan Johnson play to their potential slash ranking slash hype, along with Michael Mayer, Avery Davis, Chris Tyree, and Kyron Williams. Could this be the best skill position group at Notre Dame since 2015? Yes. I mean, it's like, I think without a question, it could be the best, but that's, this is sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a five-way parlay that you're asking for here, um, which is, as anyone who is, was betting over the weekend knows, those can be very tricky to hit. So not saying you couldn't hit them, O'Malley, but those are tricky to hit. There was so a nice like, one. I mean, there was a nice one. I'd, I'd, I, what I can gather about Austin and Johnson, I think they both are have a long way to go. Um, if you had limited it to Mayor, Davis, Tyree, and Williams, I feel like those are sort of your betting money lines on eight-point favorites. Yeah, I, I have faith in those four. Um, with I mean, with Davis remaining in the, you know, getting being better than solid, being more involved than he was yeah. last year, just just developing. I think I mean, Mayor. I think Mayor Tyree. The ceilings are 
huge or extremely high for this year. And Kyron Williams, hey, if Kyron Williams is the same as he was last year, that that's absolutely fine too, because uh, the holes yep. won't be quite as big. If you get one out of Austin and Johnson to come close to their best, it really helps the offense. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I still, I still think that Kevin Austin is the most likely to do that, provided that he had, you know, physically sure. healthy. He could have I last agree. year had he been healthy. We, we still think yeah. the best way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I mean, I don't think there's much doubt about that. We do have a question on the one spring practice from last year when he was good. Jordan Johnson still, I mean, we need, we need to see it. Although. Ian Book talked about it. Brian Kelly talked about it. It's not the, it hasn't been the physical part with him. So, I mean, in answer to the question, yeah, the potential there is great. But I also think it's tied in with the offensive line, which we all have great concerns about or, you know, concern that Nordane can get to the level that they need to be. They won't be anywhere where they were last year. So, you know, it's it's all tied in. You have a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces. And it's, uh, I, I think the, the five-team parlay analogy, Pete, is a is, is a good one because, and I and I really think that if you don't have if you don't have consistent offensive line play, none of those other components look nearly as as good as you would like them to. That's be. a good point. Hey, you know what? I put this in Monday musings and I already sent it to Jack. What do you think we would see if we were in there on Saturday? Where would Jordan Johnson come out in tempo? Austin doesn't count. Austin's not going to run out in tempo right now with his with the foot surgery. You know, second, I mean, second team. I don't. I mean, it's, I guess it's I mean, a matter of availability the of the ones, right? Right. Like, Wouldn't you run out with the second team? I think if if everyone was healthy, I think you would run out with the second team. Yeah. Well, who would Tim if 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 he didn't come out with the second team? I mean, there's uh, Lindsey Davis, Keys, Wilkins. Lindsey Davis, Keys, Wilkins. Right. I mean, those are the, those are the most experienced guys. Yeah. Oh, so your, oh, your point is when Jordan Davis, Johnson Keith come out with the ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I, don't, I mean, that's I, possible. Day one, Saturday, probably, probably the two. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Jordan Johnson, I think Jordan Johnson has to have a good spring. Does that make sense? They trust Joe Wilkins to play right now. I don't, they trust Joe Wilkins to play. That's well, they why did last year. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he would come out at the W, and Davis would be the Z, and Lindsey would be the X, and Keys would be the first guy off the bench. Yeah, you know, you might have to cross train Keys, and do they yeah. do they like Johnson at X more than they like Watt at the slot? Because if they like Watt at the slot, they can put Keys at the X. And yeah, then do they trust? Do they have two tight ends running out there? I just think Joe Wilkins. I mean, Jordan Johnson needs to have a really good spring so we can be talking about him in August. I mean, you know, if he's physically prepared, which he should be, and if, you know, the academic part of was something that Brian Kelly mentioned in the fall, and that has to be solid. Um, if not, you know, I, I, again, I know this is something that people don't want to hear. I swear to God, we have said, we have mentioned that Brian Kelly mentioned academics. We have said that how many times? And the argument about not getting him on the field never brings is, that never comes to the forefront. That is, but it's the reason it's it, one it, of the main reasons. right. And I, you know, again, it's that's Notre Dame, man. That's Notre Dame. They're not going to put a guy that's struggling and that they're not sure is going to make it academically. And I don't know how close he came to that. I don't have any idea, but for Brian Kelly to mention it, they're not going to yeah. put a guy like that on the field till it gets straightened out. 
You can call that whatever you want in comparison to their competition, but that's the way Notre Dame does things. Next from Buster Biven, which cornerback do you think is most likely to move to safety? Mm, I mean, it's, I mean, it's Ryan Barnes, right? Like I would, that's who I would say. Yes. I, I'm not even like, I guess who would be the other candidate. And I guess it's, it's worth keeping in mind. Like <laughs> I think if you had said KJ Wallace was going to move to safety, what during his recruitment, I would have been like, he's too small to do that. Um, but that just, they may just have a different view of what a safety is. So, I mean, Sean Crawford to me, wouldn't have been the first guy I would think you think a bigger body, but um, you know, the way Clark Lee ran the defense is he wanted safeties with coverage prior or ability was a real priority for him, which might not be the case for, for Freeman. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, Ramon Henderson would be the only other guy that you might yeah, say. I mean we're not we're not really sure exactly where these guys are starting the spring per se right. without having without yeah. having had spring practice with some early entry guys without having any access in August I mean I think you know I think Ryan Barnes makes the most sense I'm not you know Chance Tucker is playing cornerback right now for his high school um he could be a safety I mean I, lo- I love his skills I'm I'm probably as high on him as in, as any of those young defensive backs. Uh, but I would say Ryan Barnes. Ryan Barnes is, I think, just has a combination of there was some question about his, his flat-out speed, so that would make sense that he would, you know, he would end up at, uh, at safety. But he does have some – he does have ball skills and, and has some length that you like at, at cornerback too. Kenny Kenny Covington won nominees for the following awards. Jonas Gray for the senior who puts it all together. Let's see. Yeah, let's start with the first one. Um, the two that I like the most are Justin Adamiola and Bo Bauer. Because I think, I think Justin Adamiola, I think he's got a great opportunity there. Now, it, it, we still need to see, what you know, does MTA move outside in a three-man front? We still need to see exactly what Marcus Freeman is going to do. But I think Adam Iola is a candidate for that. And then Bo Bowers really came on strong last year and uh, I think is a great candidate for that as well. I'll go uh, I'll go Houston Griffith for this one. I mean, okay. it's That'd it would definitely story. be – yeah, I mean, it would. I mean, it kind of be more in the Javon McKinley mold of, you know, really struggling for the first three years, um, you know, and then, and then putting it all on. And, and I think – you gotta, you know, I thought about like, you know, some other candidates, but I think the Jonas Gray Award, you gotta, you gotta be a frontline player, right? Like, um, you know, I don't know if Bo Bowers, unless you're looking at Bo Bowers like a replacement for Drew White. Um, I'm, you know, no, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm saying that if they, if they teamed them up together, which is unlike, which is unlikely, I get that, but. You know, if you're going to put your two best inside linebackers on the field, it may be those two, or cert- certainly in situations it will be. I'll go glass all the way full and go back to Kevin Austin for our Jonas Gray senior. Who all right, there you go. Award. All right, the he second, is somehow a senior. The That's second oof. award, the uh, Junior Jabby Award. Good spring, but you need to see it with your own eyes. I would mm. say I would say Joe Wilkins there now. I'm you know, right Joe next Wilkins to you, is, Keys. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, I, but it. I, you know, Joe Wilkins, there's a cap on his physical ability, yeah. as there was for Junior Jabby. Yeah. So you, you knew that it, you knew that that wasn't necessarily going to translate. 
Now this, it's not an exact comparison because Wilkins played fairly extensively last year, but Joe Wilkins is a guy that I think has a limit physically. And so he could have a great spring game, but they're still looking for a Jordan Johnson to step forward or someone along or Kevin Austin, right. uh, where the physical skill, you know, outperforms the, the mental capabilities and the, in the, the adaptation to the position. Mm. I'm, this is a tough one. I I I could see like who are the number two quarterback, whoever it is, because I don't think we're going to see any of them in the fall if everything goes according to plan, right? Like whether it's Clark, Pine, Buckner, um, but I can tell you, so, I mean, look, somebody's going to win the number two job behind Jack Cohn, and we're going to write like what a great job that person did because they will have won something, like they will have beaten out two other people but I don't think that's going to be overly indicative of their ability to do it on a Saturday. And now the Drew White Award, not talked about, but he emerges as a starter. And boy, was he the number one player in the history of not talked about that emerges as a starter because ah. he came out first in the spring of 2019. We all said, well, there's a placeholder. And then he's started every game since. Uh, mm. I, yeah, I, I would... Well, I think a, a candidate, a, a great candidate is John Dirksen because nobody brings up John Dirksen <laughs> as, as a possible starter. He's going to be, it's going to be his fourth year in the program, a redshirt junior. So he's a prime candidate for that. I'm not, I guess I'm being asked to predict who will do it and I'm not necessarily doing that. I, you know, if, if a running back were to get banged up, Siebel Flemister is a guy that I think could, could really emerge, but not as a starter. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a guy like Howard Cross, but I don't think he's a starter either. I think they have Kurt Heinisch and. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Dirksen fits the mold now, whether, whether he can, whether he can win the right guard spot uh, in the spring that remains to be seen. Uh, I mean, how much, I guess we've technically, we've talked about Tariq Bracey, but like not in a super flowery way. So I, he might be, I think he would probably be the guy that I would grab here as, I guess he, he, but he may be a Jonas Gray Award guy. Right. Um, you know, maybe he wins both. You know who fits here a little? DJ Br- or uh, DJ Brown. No yeah. one talks about yeah. him. It's all Houston Griffith, right? Yeah. yeah. He's had more snaps than Houston Griffith. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I think from what we had heard prior to and throughout the 2020 season, that DJ Brown had the best grasp of the position. Not, not. That was before we knew that Sean Crawford was going to be moved there. Yeah. On a, I on think a that uh, the Houston Griffith thing has legs and logic because there's a new defensive coordinator with a new scheme. I don't think it would okay. have any legs. Well, first of all, he probably wouldn't be back. But let's say he came back. I don't think Pete would be saying Houston Griffith if it was Clark Lee, who was a great defensive coordinator, because we've already seen him under right. Clark Lee. Does right. Probably sense? not. Right. And the last uh, part of that question, Tim. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, if it happens, Kyle Hamilton Award, as good as advertised. My, again, we, this is another <laughs> one of those questions we have every week. Like, okay, you can't say Michael Mayer because we all know that he is as good as advertised, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Austin and Jordan Johnson are, are candidates for this. Uh, you know, they have the ability. Hopefully Patterson. Uh, that's a good point. He's I, moving. I, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'll go – Two guys who have not played. Uh, yeah, Kyle yeah. Hamilton for the Kyle Hamilton Award. <laughs> I'm going to go Lorenzo Styles uh, for one. That's a fun one. I, when you say as good as advertised, I'm thinking like a guy who hasn't played at all. Okay. Uh, and then I think a 
a red shirt freshman who will sort of fit this mold will be Tosh Baker. Okay. Uh, question from Irish fan three. How good can this defensive recruiting class be just the defensive side of the ball? Top five good? Yes. I mean, the, guy, the guys that they're involved in right now are of a different cut than I think what they've gone after the last few years. And, and it's not – I want to say this the right way. I think that some of the linebackers they're going after now – they would not really get much of a sniff from in the past. Like Jalen Sneed? Uh, yeah, that would be number <laughs> one on that list. Yeah. Um, but then also like Aiden Gobera, I think is even, if you saw him as like a Ade Ogandeje, like long, lean, growing into his body, like he's, I feel like he is skipping a step and a half right now yeah, going into his junior year. And I think there there may be some guys in this class that Notre Dame got on, like DJ Wesselak, they end up getting him, which they expect. That that would be another one where like Notre Dame got on early. Um and they turned out to be like high or very solid mid four star prospects. I think you make a good point, Pete, that they could go look for the next Ade Ogandeje because Aiden Gobera is probably beyond that. That's He's yeah he's a much better prospect now, and he will be much rated much much higher than boy. And he Adios is yes. he is really playing some great football here this spring. I, you know, I don't know that I would go that far because I know that I know that they're involved with these guys, but I, I don't know that they're necessarily like two Alamaca they're going to get. But I think like a differentiator would be a Jalen Sneed, uh, Nawankpa, the 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 safety who's so good. I don't think they're going yep. to get him. Yeah. Um, you know, Wesselick is a lower rated guy who's, he's a legit four-star guy. Uh, but Sebastian Cheeks, I haven't been, I haven't been blown away with his physicality from what I've seen from earlier in his, his prep career, but, and and they've got a good chance of him, but will they get Anthony Lucas? Will they get Devin Jackson? Will they get Martinez? Tafiti, the linebacker, I'm sure they have a good chance. Look, it's going, and I think, I think, uh, I think Mickey, the, the cornerback, Although it I like looks him. like I, I do too, because now I'm seeing him put some, some muscle on. Yeah. It's like, I, I think I talked to him the day you recorded the last podcast that I wasn't able to be on. And he said that he had gone, he played his sophomore year around like 160. Okay, and now he's once now he's 175. Okay. I, because I, I, I even comment on that at one seven, he was not playing at 175. No, because he wasn't. No. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like he's put some some weight on. He's got you know, obviously he's a very confident and aggressive football player. He's got some real covered skills. I still have, you know, you look you look at his early high school film. That that was he's making plays, but there's quarterbacks that are throwing the damn ball right to him, too. You know, I mean I want to and I, there you see some clips where he gets beat deep. And a ball's underthrown, he makes a play. I, I'm just not sure of his flat out speed, but he's a he's a ball hawk. He can mirror a receiver. I think he's got a lot of potential. That was he a said, really, that was a nice catch for them. I was just gonna say, like, I talked to him about the speed aspect of it, and he said that he had run a four four hand timed, but he was he was like, Look, I want to get a four four laser. I think that I can do it. Cause like he understood that speed is something he has to work on. And like, if you're playing at one, like adding weight and muscle and explosive 
you know, movement type of stuff. Like that's all part of that. Well, that shows real maturity. That's a good thing. Yeah. Next, Kyle Country, Notre Dame. What impact will the new directors of offensive and defense recruiting have? And what have you heard about Chad Bowden? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I just, I think it lends itself to more organization. Does it take Notre Dame from number nine to third in the country? I, 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 aren't, isn't the, isn't the overall coordinator a bigger, doesn't the overall coordinator of the recruiting process have a bigger impact than, you know, direct, I mean, these are a director of offense and defense. How many positions? I think it's great because Notre Dame needs to, they need to, again, they need to keep up with the Joneses, but I don't know that this moves the needle to the extent that people are expecting. I think it's a, a way to make Marcus Freeman's time as efficient as possible. That's a great with idea. These, with these zoom calls and who you're playing Madden with and you know, all that stuff. Like, cause that limited time in the day for Marcus Freeman. So if you have somebody who is like, is sort of your assistant, that's great. Um, you know, I think Chad Bowden is from what I can gather on him, probably going to push the envelope in some ways. I mean, I, I think that he's not, how would I put this? I don't think he's, why like he's not a he'll come in and ruffle some feathers i think you know like hey let's get aggressive with this can we do this in a different way and the answer might be no um and the answer might just be like that's that worked for you guys in cincinnati but like here we're doing it a different way so i i think it will definitely be somebody who looks at notre dame recruiting operation in a different way and you know maybe that can help them look at things outside the box and yeah it's, it, that can't hurt but really the quantifiable thing will be marcus freeman right Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, is it pronounced Bowden or Bowden? Regardless, Bowden. okay, it's Bowden. Uh, Re- regardless, uh, his dad is the old GM for the Reds. Okay. Oh, okay. Actually, I did not know that. That I like that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he uh, officially he's not on the job, according to Nordane, but we know that he is. Yes. Also not on the job. Subfan, your thoughts on name image likeness. How does it play out at Notre Dame and does it change the recruiting game? Um, I, I think that it can play out extraordinarily well at Notre Dame. Um, you know, this is a school with a, more of a national brand than a lot of other places. Uh, I think that I hope that Notre Dame gets very aggressive with this, maybe more so than they are have been to date. And I don't know. I, I, is it going to change the recruiting game? I think because everyone's doing it, its impact will be limited. Um, you know, I mean, what's it going to do? Is it going to make Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State get more five-star prospects? Probably not. I hope um, not. That would be a problem. There's, there aren't many more for them to get. Um, but I, I think it just it, it adds a, a level of intrigue more than I think it changes – how recruiting is going to play out. Jack Swarbrick's a supporter of it. I mean, yeah. he's, he's made that very clear from the very beginning. So I think Notre Dame will maximize it to their advantage. I think you make a good point, Pete, that it, is this going to, is this going to make Alabama be- better or is this going to allow a place like Notre Dame to make inroads and strides against the competition? I think it's more the latter of those two. I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not surprised this is happening. It's it's 
to me, it's like comparable to how can you tell a high school player that he can't go pro now the professional leagues can dictate that. Yeah. But this is a conversation I've had with Jack Swarbrick before. How in the world can you prevent an individual from trying to maximize his financial opportunity? And it was only a matter of time. My concern is we've already gone from a team first, player second attitude to a player first, team second attitude. And the, the more power that the student athlete gets the more difficult it is to have a cohesive football team. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Don't you think though, that eventually, or within a, I mean, within a couple of years, it's going to be pretty obvious who has some power in name image likeness and what 79 players don't. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. It does. I, I just, Again, it's an old school attitude, but when the individual comes before the team, that's when the team has problems. And this is, yeah, and it's not it's, just name, I mean, image, likeness. This is yeah, just in transfer. general, the direction yeah, I mean, we've gone. The one year transfer, uh, I mean, is I, I think the one year transfer is a, a much bigger story of like how recruiting is going to work and change I, in the future. Than I think NIL. it's, all, I think it's, I agree with you. I think it's all tied in. I think that is going to create chaos. Yeah, because there's a lot. Here's the thing. Um, I mean, it's been chaos in basketball, but you're you can manage your roster by you lose a point guard, not at Notre Dame necessarily, but you lose a point guard, you get a point guard. You know, I mean, you could if if that's what happens in basketball, the one year transfer rule, you lose mm -hmm. your point guard, you go get a point guard. In football, I mean, everybody that is two and a half to third string is a viable I want to leave candidate. That's a lot of important depth of learning systems and all that stuff. The guys you're bringing up. I mean, like Pete said, all right, we're, I'm just going to use a guy that we don't think is going to transfer. Like what if Tosh Baker didn't have a head on his shoulder? He's like, oh, I'm not starting as a redshirt freshman. I'm gone. You know, there's, there's going to be plenty of that all over college football. And that yeah. is a guy that was going to be a three-year starter for your every team that he would have gone to or goes right. to. It, I feel like in basketball, it's an easy fix. You lose Prentice Hub, you get a point guard. I don't think it's an easy fix to football. I think it's really going to be a difficult thing for coaches. You better have your culture right. And like, yeah. I, I very, unfortunately, I have very little sympathy for the coaches in this scenario. But still difficult. The, the money that they're making, like, but you better have your culture right. That is even more important now than ever. But Pete, even without sympathy, it's still a problem. Well, oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a problem to solve. Yeah. Um, and these, these guys have a, a armies of, assistance and analysts to, to help solve it. And Notre Dame's culture is in a good place right now. Yeah. Yeah. Volley, Volley cheer, on, cheer high. on high. Go ahead, Tim. I thought I'd go ahead and I'll talk you. Uh, what are the best worst case scenarios for both offense and defense this fall in terms of how each group will perform barring major injuries? I mean, to break, I mean, to all just as basic as possible. The defense can be better, and the offense should not be with considering the offensive line. I don't care that the receivers can be much better. It doesn't matter if your offensive line isn't much better or isn't as good. Now, no. we're going to have seven months to break down every position group, if that's what this question is. I think a lot of position groups can be better on offense, like tight end, wide receiver, and running back, but they're all tied into the offensive line, so can they really be better? And I mean, quarterback could be. I don't personally think it will be, but quarterback certainly could be. I'm, not, I'm open to that. 
I, yeah, I guess it's is it a question about like statistically how many points they're going to score, or give up, or like what the record of the team is going to be? At the um, at the end of the day, I think offenses are measured by how many points they score against good competition. Yeah, that's the and best I, way of looking at it. And I and I, you know, maybe this again on paper looking at maybe this year's competition isn't as severe as last year's at times. Um, playing Clemson twice in Alabama, but um, I. <laughs> I mean, I can I can see that the that that Tommy Reese is really going to have to come up with some solutions, which I think is going to be difficult with the offensive line. I I I, I the cohesion of that offensive line is going to be difficult to achieve. Yeah, I mean, I think that how Reese reimagines the offense is my most interesting thing about Notre Dame football right now. And defensively, now, I know they lost Owusu Koromoa, who. I don't know if you even replace him in the aggregate, but Kyle Hamilton wasn't healthy last year, and a healthy Kyle Hamilton can make a big difference too. So that could be a different way of looking at it. And really, even if – I mean, Sean Crawford was a warrior, but you could just be flat-out better at that position too, right? He was just playing yeah. a position he was never meant to play. And Do you, But is there is there a player on the roster in 2021 that's going to be better at safety than Sean Crawford was? And, and, and look, a lot, a lot of people focus on the handful of plays where he got burnt and not all the plays that he made. I just think a different, different deeper, more options in the secondary, maybe in a healthy Kyle Hamilton can make your secondary better. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to quantify the linebackers because you lost the best linebacker in the country. So even if all the linebackers take steps up, you still lost the best linebacker in the country, right? What about I mean, overall, I feel like the, the, I mean, the talent of Norway's defense, I think, is down from where it was last year, which isn't to say that it's bad. I just think that it's down. Yeah, and I think defensive end is, you know, we all expect big things out of Isaiah Foskey, who has shown a little bit of it. We don't know about Jordan Battello yet. Can Justin Adamiola be the starter there, or do they have on the at the big end? I thought Ogundeji was, I guess he kind of got off to a slow start, but I think he was a little bit underrated in the grand scheme of things as far as how he made yeah. everybody else fit, too. He was a good player last year. It was just yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fi- and he finished really, really strong. So, I know it's a, it's a transition year, man. I mean, maybe maybe the schedule's forgiving enough that you can that you can win ten games again, but um, during the regular season, that is. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I I think the chemistry of the offensive line is going to definitely take a long time to to be developed. I have way more concern on the offensive line than I do other spots though. Like I'm with you, they lost really good players on D, but I, you can, I think they have a lot of good players too. Like sometimes you can. I think just... they, they've got a lot of answers on defense. Yeah. They have a lot of questions, but I think they've got a lot of answers on, on the offensive line. I think they've got a lot of questions and we're not really sure of the answers. CMU Penns fan. How much differently do you think the Irish will use Chris Tyree on offense this year? This, I mean, this sort of fits in fits into the how Reese reimagines the offense is the most interesting thing uh, because there's a lot of different ways you can use Chris Tyree. I mean, it's like I mean Brian Kelly even referenced it when he was talking about Tyree last year. Is when they signed him, they're like, you know, is this guy going to be a jet sweep guy for us? Is he going to be a gadget play guy for us? And they're like, no, he's got you know the the physical ability to run between the tackles, which is great. But that means he also has the ability to do the jet sweeps and the gadget plays. Um, and so I think there's hopefully there's a lot more inventory for him in that kind of play. He's 
he's a guy that could be much better as well. Like that's uh, he could become a difference maker. And if you have two difference makers, Kyron Williams isn't going anywhere. Even if his numbers might not be as great, but he's still going to run that way as hard as he Mm -hmm. possibly can. Um, And you could augment him and save him a little bit. If Chris Tyree can take a bigger workload. I I really think that all three of those guys are going to play. Flemister is an obvious number three, but you should keep using him to keep guys fresh. And I think Tyree and Reese is a great point, Pete and Tim. It matters if Lindsay's there. How do you use Lindsay? If Lindsay can run jet sweeps and Tyree's out there, like there's so many weird things with the, the Lindsay Austin Johnson talent level on the outside that you could get nothing from. Or you could be like, wow, this is why the offense is different. It's really, it doesn't usually work that way, right? Yeah, yeah we, we've heard, I mean, I've, we've heard great things about Kyron Williams and his leadership here yeah. during the winter. Chris Tyree uh, has really improved his body even more. So I hate to be, people are always asking about will Williams and Tyree be on the field together, but I think that that's a possibility because you can do more things with Tyree. You know, they threw between them, they caught 12. Did they catch 12 passes in the Alabama game? Yeah, there was a huge yeah. point of. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you can do more with Tyree in the passing game and the running game per se. Um, so I wish the receivers would have caught 12 passes in the Alabama game. That'd have been a big difference. <laughs> yeah, that was a little, those are a little hard to come by in that game. Yeah, it was tougher. Huh? Yeah. Irish Cowboy 88. Have you guys heard some positive buzz about Jack Cohn's throwing sessions? Heard anything about Tyler Buckner's throwing sessions? I have, I've heard uh, a lot of good things about Jack Cohn's throwing and I've heard, people are going to love this. I've heard more things about Drew Pine than Tyler Buckner. Ty, look, Tyler Buckner has played one season in the last three years. So a little bit of patience is going to be needed. But Drew Pine, I think his his leadership has shined, shined through here uh, over the winter. Um, the players seem to respond to him. That's a good situation. I You know, I know that he, you know, we, we look at him against Alabama, and it's like, how in the world is he going to be able to withstand this? And he wasn't in the game very long before uh, Ian Book came back in. But um, no, I've heard good, heard, heard good things about Drew Pine, about as far as how teammates respond to to him and that Cone's throwing the ball well. And that Buckner's going to be fine, but we do have to keep in mind that he's played one football season in the last three years. I've heard good things on Cone. It feels like he was the best quarterback available, and what they're what they're seeing so far is back that up. Uh, on Buckner, I've heard more mixed. Um, some good, some bad. So we'll we'll see. But I think that patience there is warranted and probably good for your own mental health if you're a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, it's just fair to reassess what your expectations were before COVID shut things down. Drew, I mean, Drew Pine. Tyler Buckner would have played another football season and had a great football yeah. season, and he'd have more. He'd just have more, more to work with if he if he had played the season. He he got hurt a lot by that. Incoming quarterbacks from California going to colleges were hurt a lot by not playing football last year. And that's, yeah. Who missed their sophomore year? Yeah, that's yeah. Throw that on top of it. That adds up. Tommy uh, Collier, twenty four eighty eight. If we don't land one of Hayden Singleton or Sawchuck, do you think we should pass on taking another back in twenty twenty two, and focus on a couple of big time twenty three backs, or go ahead and take Alston and Payne? I, I don't. I mean, I, I hesitate to say pass because we all love Audric Estime, and he was a guy that. Came into the equation, you know, very late in the process. So you never shut the door on that. Um, I don't think they get Sawchuck. 
I expect them to get either Hayden or Singleton. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a stretch, but I, at this stage, I expect them to get one of the two. Uh, wow. Alston's kind of squat, but he can run away from people sometimes. I don't, I haven't seen enough good stuff on pain to, to, to make have an opinion on that, but I, I don't think you close. Look, it's March signing days in December and February. You don't, you don't close the door on anything in recruiting as today, these today, you don't close the door on anything. You're that door's open for business 365 days a year. I would, I'm in agreement there. I think you continue to press for that second back. I mean, is it like, I think if you're a coach, you got to look at it from the worst case scenario, right? Like the worst case would be Kyron Williams, run, Williams runs for 15 yard, 100 yards and goes pro. Sebo Flemister leaves. And then suddenly it's Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, uh, Audric Estime. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. Um, we can't have just, we can't have three. We, we shouldn't have just four backs. We should have five. And running backs are running backs are going to be leaving at a greater pace now, especially when the, when the one-time transfer rule comes in, running backs are going to be coming in and out the door everywhere. There is no, to sum up what Pete said, there is no such thing as passing right now. Transfers mean no passing. There's no fitting your guys into your structure because your whole structure of yeah. your whole room can be broken apart in a heartbeat. Jim underscore Booney, CRS. A year ago in spring practice, the legend of Kevin Austin grew tenfold off of one spring practice report. Just how good was Austin that day? Do you think Austin can be the player witness on that ominous 2020 spring day? I believe it was March 5th because we've referenced it 600 times since it, then. It was March 5th. I, he was great, wasn't he? I mean, we yeah. all saw it. <laughs> he, I, he was he was outstanding. He was every bit as good as you could have hoped to see that day on March 5th. Yeah. I mean, he dominated whoever tried to guard him. I believe Sean Crawford got a little bit of it. Um <laughs> but mostly it was Tariq Bracey and he just went up and bossed all of them and then ran, ran away from them. I think we start making things up since it's such a uh, legendary day now and talk about that time. He took the slant and ran over JOK and Hamilton when they were coming full speed at him. <laughs> he just bulldozed over them. That didn't actually happen, yeah. but he had a great day and everybody was looking at each other up there just thinking to themselves, wow, that's a, uh, that's a difference maker in the offense. He, he really, yeah. And the defensive standout that day, Houston Griffith. Houston Griffith. Although he but, wasn't going against Kevin Austin. Now, question from Washington D. After his injury, Paul Mowala hasn't been mentioned virtually at all when it comes to the rover position. What have you been hearing about his rehab, and do you think he will have an opportunity to vie for playing time in 2021? Getting I believe I've yeah, I believe yeah. I've heard that like the rehab is going well, uh, but that is a big difference than from like participating in spring practice, which I'm yeah, would be yeah. quite shocked if that no, happened. No. You don't do that with a ruptured Achilles. He was mid-September. No. Remember, the season started late and he was game number two. So you're looking at September 19th. Um, <clears throat> surgery after that. It's a shame, uh, except he'll get a, you know, because I was going to say he gets a medical register year out of it, but he was getting a free year out of it anyway. So it was just a very yeah. unfortunate timing. I would, I would assume he doesn't challenge for a starting rover role until the following season. It but used to be back in place, that helps. Yeah. I mean, when, when guys tore an ACL, it was like, okay, that's a year that, that, ha, that time span for recovery has really shortened, but it has not for Achilles. 
And I don't think it has for Liz Frank injuries either. So, so you know, Sean Crawford uh, ruptured his Achilles uh, game number two in 2016 after the so is the Nevada game after Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, he did start the season opener, I believe. He was the start of that year in 2017 because he yeah he did because he had his best days best games in September actually. He had a great day against Michigan State um, and a couple other ones before he wore down later. So yeah. he is also an um, expert at recovering from things. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I would not say that everybody goes that way, but I guess medically it's possible, right? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I just uh, – Moala is Mawala is just like, okay, we'll see come August. Right, exactly. That's You know, so, that, I mean, that's part of why we haven't mentioned Isaiah Pryor would be a candidate. I think Jack Kaiser could prove to be a candidate yeah. again, depending upon three, three, five and you know, and the, the, how they line people up. Um, but yeah, I, we haven't, I, I, I would admit we haven't said a whole lot about him, And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we know, we know that he's not going to be in play until after the summer. Right. Right. Question from Joseph Ramos. How confident are you that the Mike Mickens and, uh, Marcus Freeman duo can reinvent Tariq Bracey to get him back to the level he was playing at two years ago, both mentally and physically. I mean, it's worth remembering like Mike Mickens was here last year, um, you know, and they got Clarence Lewis, which was a complete shock to the coaching staff as it happened. Um, so I'm moderately confident. Um, I mean, I feel like they'll get something out of Tariq Bracey, but I, if there's somebody better, you know, if there's a Clarence Lewis part two, whether that's Chance Tucker or Ryan Barnes plays corner or Riley. You know, remote Ramon Henderson mm-hmm. something, then then that's the guy. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be beholden to like, we got to get this. Tariq Bracey has to be the solution. I think they've got a, a few different options. Tim and I talked about this offline, Pete. Um, I mentioned there's, one person very important in Tariq Bracey's development for his senior year. And Tim mentioned the other one. Mine was Dr. Amber Selking and Tim's was Tariq Bracey. Cause those two, I have to rehabilitate Tariq Bracey's complete loss of confidence from last year. He has the physical ability. He had the physical ability coming out of high school. He just needed to get stronger. He still needs to get stronger, but I, but you'd like to think that Marcus Freeman tag teaming with, with Mike Mickens will, will help. I'm still confident that it can happen. I same way that, okay. Like last spring, I kept saying, Kevin Austin's going to be Nordane's leading receiver. Then he had the injury. I am still confident that Tariq Bracey can do it. Now, maybe part of it is that they need him to. And as you mentioned, Pete, I mean, maybe there's a Philip Riley or somebody that, that steps in and, and um, you know, makes it unnecessary for Tariq Bracey to, to emerge where you still need bodies there. Can't, you know, Cam Hart, I, I don't think we talk enough about Cam Hart at cornerback. It'll be his second year there. He has great length. He's an, an athlete. Um, you know, we'll see if he can do anything either. Last one from Mike Mogavero. Will Jack Swarbrick put a feeler out to Porter Moser regarding the Notre Dame men's basketball job? If not, to quote us, what are we even doing here? <laughs> I like when he late. quoted us to get in. I mean, after, yeah. after Sunday, it's too late. Right, right, it is. Now everybody wants him. I, everybody should have wanted him a few years ago. He is, you know, and Pete, you, you were the first one to mention him. And I, and I totally agree with that. And, and 
the the level of defense, the level of defense that Loyola Chicago played against Illinois is remarkable. And the level of defense that Notre Dame basketball, current Notre Dame basketball plays, it's not even also unbelievable. It's not it's that's <laughs> unbelievable as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way what I, I have never enjoyed watching a team that I have post speed more than the Loyola, Illinois basketball game. I mean, they, they have an NBA big and they were struggling to get him the ball. And by the time they did, it was too late. I was, it was just, man, that was impressive to watch. How's your bracket looking guys? Uh, I had Illinois winning like, it all. It looks like Notre Dame's defense against Boston college and Oregon yeah. just beat Iowa. Here oh, did they really? Yeah, yeah. You're on Monday. Spoiler alert, everybody. Loyola, Loyola, Chicago, both the Big Ten team and carrying the flag for Catholic basketball. <laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, there was, there were not many positive moments for Notre Dame basketball this weekend when you're watching. I think I texted you both and said, Baylor plays a different sport than Notre Dame basketball does, not just a different <laughs> level of game. But I got to tell you something. This one Monday musings. The more frustrating thing is that Loyola plays a different sport than Notre Dame basketball did yeah. this year. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and then now, and now they have Oregon State upset winner over Oklahoma State, and then they play the winner. Last, they like, play the winner of what, what I think will be an interesting game. But I think Houston will beat Syracuse. Um, and I like I like the Houston team a lot. But man, there's and I you know I mean you don't need a pandemic to have all this chaos in the, in the NCAA tournament, but it's like, it's ramped up yeah. to another level. Yeah. Can I, can yes, I leave thrown on that fire? Yeah. Can I leave our, uh, our listeners with the, no one wants to hear bad beat, but kind of funny, bad beat story. So I had a few of them. Uh, I actually had a really good weekend at DraftKings, but I had six really bad beats on over unders, like half three of them because of over, they went to overtime. So they went over when I had under, I had Gonzaga by a half point. I had another one. Pete knows I had Colgate at the half to be tied or bet to be tied or leading. And they were up 33-19. It went down 34-33 <laughs> at the half. But this one all all fans can relate to. I needed a half point out of Syracuse for the over. And the two best free throw shooters <laughs> on planet Earth missed the front end of a one and one and split. And I needed one more point. Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard. There are stories about Joe Girard's free throw shooting. If you Google Joe Girard, free throw shooting clinics come up. <laughs> and he front rims it when I need the point. It was you know, something to behold. You are, you are, O'Malley is too good of a gambler for his own good. Now, I know he doesn't bet a whole lot. And, that, and I nickel and dime it too because I know I stink at it. The only time I'm any good is like during bowl season. That's but weird. I spend, but that's, I yeah, spend, <laughs> but I spend you know, I, I, I spend so much time working on that because I love doing it. But I, I know I'm a lousy gambler, and that's to my benefit. So, Joe Girard, that's why Mike Bray didn't recruit him to Notre Dame because he was going to somehow screw us <laughs> over. From his there you go. <laughs> we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. When we find out what the Notre Dame schedule is, you will find out as well. Until then, our next, uh, our next podcast will be Monday of next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, 
please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.